BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partnersincrimemedia. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, it was the biggest and most expensive modern day cattle rustling. But those missing steer never existed. We'll review the podcast, Ghost Herd. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Oh, Rebecca, I'm still still wiped out from that wonderful Valentine's Day we had. Oh, my God, yes. To get a shot of vitamin B. I'm still so oh. tired from the Super Bowl. Oh, what happened on your Valentine's Day? I'm dying Everything to know. happened. Oh, oh my. Every, all of it. In that Pompanusic Mills bed? Under yeah. the clothes stuff, over the <laughs> clothes stuff. stuff. <laughs> you, know what our, you know what our favorite sexual position is? Back Sleeping? to back. <laughs> In pajamas. Pajamas. <laughs> yeah, uh, our, our listeners might uh, know that w- neither one of those events has happened yet, either the Super Bowl or Valentine's Day. However, this podcast is coming out after those events, so we're pretending as if they have. Thank you for the chocolates, Kevin. Oh, you're welcome. I really love, by the way, every time you buy me one of those Whitman samplers, I love it. So thank you so much for getting me that. Look at me. You're Look at me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for getting me that Whitman sampler, <laughs> Kevin. Yeah, Do you whatever. see what I'm laying down? Do you yeah, see I see what I- yes, I see what you're laying down. <sighs> wink, wink, nod, he's nod. Are, not you paying trying, are you hoping he's going to remember this next Valentine's Day? I'm hoping he remembers this literally 363 like 363 days from now. <sighs> Toby, come on. This is He's Thursday. At... This All is Thursday. Right. We're on the 16th. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also with us is private investigator, <laughs> certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. How was your Valentine's Day? Did you get the Whitman sampler of chocolates? Yeah, I got uh, the Whitman sampler and then some. All right. And then mm-hmm. some. And finally. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> wink, our, wink, nod, nod. resident Doubting <laughs> Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, and the only weirdo who likes the Whitmans with the orange cream inside. Hey, Toby, what's up? <laughs> hey, not too much. 
You don't like the Whitmans with the orange inside. Please say no. I, no you know, does. I don't hate them. I, they're kind of, you know, they're sort of in that sort of middle zone. Oh my God. I get one. Like, I'm not like yeah. psyched, but I'm not super disappointed either. I like, I look at the, the chocolate map and either avoid it. Or I like bite the corners off of it. And if it's that one, I just put it back. <laughs> but if you're yeah, desperate yeah. and it's the last one left, you're like, oh, what the fuck? I'll eat the orange if one. If I'm desperate and it's the last one left, I'll eat anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Stupid. It's so weird because like that's like a unique, cheap candy like thing that I love. I'm not like I'm not a candy snob. Like I love Hershey's Kisses, for instance. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I whatever. But like that is the cheapest, waxiest candy ever. Mm-hmm. And it is so freaking good. Do not tell Anne the chocolate lady I said this. It is so freaking good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, and, and Hershey's, my great grandfather worked in the Hershey's factory. He like, uh, m- that part of my family lived in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and he worked on the machines. He was a machinist at the Hershey factory. So I am partial to Hershey's. I am a purist. Give me a milk chocolate Hershey's kiss. Forget it with any of those fancy kinds. And like, this segment was sponsored by the Whitman's Valentine Sampler. The Whitman's Sampler. It wasn't. But Whitman's- And you know what? That box is reusable. I'm just going to say that box is reusable for many things. You put your weed in it, don't you, Lara? I do. <laughs> Actually, how did you know, Rebecca? <laughs> College Lara Bricker. That's where she kept her stash. I'm just, just guessing. All right. So, Kevin, uh, this is obviously Thursday's Crime Writers on. Yeah. It's been a raucous start, obviously. <laughs> We're all very sugar high from the Whitman sampler that you definitely bought me for Valentine's Day. You didn't get even the small one. You got the medium-sized or the large one, right? I did. Thank you. What is happening on this coming Monday's show? Well, on Thursday, we're going to be talking about uh, podcast season two of I'm Not a Monster. Oh, Josh Baker's little oh, yeah. show. Yeah. Yes. Waiting I- for a couple of those episodes to come out so that we could get a, you know, a a good sampling of it. You so. know, we know Josh. We could just ask him for some. I do. Why are you pulling the curtain back, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I bet Josh would send me a Whitman sampler if I asked. I think we've wasted enough time talking about my my gratitude for the huge Whitman sampler that you bought for me, Kevin. So we should just talk about the podcast we're going to talk about, don't you think? Let's do it. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. If you're a meat eater in the U.S. and even as far as Japan... Chances are good you've bitten into their beef. The Easter Days own ranches, feedlots, vegetable farms, processing plants, restaurants, even a private plane. The Easter Days drew a lot of water in southeast Washington. Cody Easterday was a titan of agriculture who provided Tyson food with 2% of its beef. But a series of bad investments and commodity speculation put the rancher in a desperate financial position. When I heard it, I thought... I don't see Cody doing something that would have been considered a criminal action. Easter Day engineered a quarter billion dollar hoax, tricking Tyson into paying for the upkeep of cattle that only existed on paper. When the hoax was discovered, it disrupted the food supply and threatened the farming empire the community depended on. This is a great American tragedy to to some degree. You know, it, it, it has all the elements of a very, and it's classically American. It's a great American success story that ends, that is crippled by greed. KUOW, Puget Sound Public Radio, and Northwest Public Broadcasting present Ghost Herd, 
Host Anna King plows into the livestock swindle as well as shines a light on the precarious nature of farming and food supply in modern America. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Ghost Herd. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Laura, I wanted to come to you with something that I appreciated about this podcast to get your take as a person who grew up on a farm. Yeah. When you hear a lot of stories about agriculture, farming, the food supply, raising cattle, very often it's framed through environmentalism, animal stories, etc. This is straight ag reporting, which is reporting I don't usually follow or listen to. And I found the journalism part of this, the actual ag reporting part of this, super interesting. And I just really appreciated that the story was a straight agriculture story. We don't really get a lot of that, especially like an investigative journalism, right? Yeah. And I thought that was super interesting. So Anna King, who's the host and reporter here, you know, she's a trusted and credible reporter within this ag community. And she talks about, you know, how she grew up on a farm and and about how she became what they called their rural reporter, which I thought was really interesting, and how she gained credibility within that community reporting on agricultural issues. I mean, we hear the story in the beginning about when she reported that like asparagus had like a 10 foot deep root and the guy's like, I don't think so. And he like takes her out and shows her and she's like, and now he's one of my best sources because I went out with him and I learned And she got the real story. So as somebody that did grow up in that community, to hear this reporting done in such a way that they are not only highlighting the families and the people that are working in the agricultural community, but also talking about the economics of how it works. And we're learning about the futures market. And we're learning about leasing of land as opposed to buying land. And we're learning about water rights. And we're learning about, you know, the old guy who doesn't want a cab on his truck because he thinks you need to taste dirt in your face if you're really going to be a farmer. So I, I, I feel like we're really hearing from the people that we need to hear from within this community to tell this story. I really like the dispassionate way that Anna talks about the beef industry in particular. Like, we learned a lot of very interesting facts in this podcast, one of them being that one of the reasons why you can't delay sending beef to the slaughterhouse is because when they become too big, they don't fit through the slicers and dicers inside the factory. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's gruesome, but also very interesting. And it's just reported in a very dispassionate, matter-of-fact way. Listening to her, I, I actually, as I was like listening, I listened to one of the episodes again tonight at dinner. She's like agricultural Amber Hunt. 100%. Doesn't she have? Just that same. No. Yeah. She's Amber Hunt's vocal twin, 100%. Stacy and Olivia don't use the futures market to manage their risk. Not all farmers do. They prefer to manage things by not taking too many risks. And Stacy carefully manages the mix of crops they grow. So if one crop doesn't do well, then hopefully another one will be profitable. So Toby, there is, however, a lot of background information here and a lot of public radioing in this podcast, right? <laughs> yes. Next question. Um, <laughs> now the, especially right up front, there's a long, long period of like background information and I get this a little bit from Leah Satilli as well, that I think there's this understanding that people really don't know much about the rural Pacific Northwest. 
so that there's a need to kind of orient you as to what that sort of environment is like. But, you know, for what I generally think is a, is a really good podcast, they kind of just front load it and it, it's a slog. Like the first mm. episode is just a slog. Agreed. And I was just like, okay, let's just, can we just get to something? Like, couldn't you kind of seed this as we went through a little bit? I mean, I understand the logic behind, like if you're storyboarding, you're like, we'll get it. We'll like set the scene and then we'll get to this. But, you know, the reality as a listener is that it just kind of goes on and on and on. And I could see at people just like kind of being like, all right, I can't do it anymore and dropping off, which would be a mistake. I, I, I thought that w- that was a mistake on, on their part, just in the way that's structured. There are issues, too, with the lack of suspense, too, right, Kevin? Because we talked about this, like there is well, a swindle at the heart of this, but right. there's no suspense around the swindle at all. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's called Ghost Hurt. Great name. And that's the premise is that there was this... Uh, this fraud, this really interesting fraud, and they tell us what it happened, you know, what it is within the first few minutes, right? We hear that it's all sort of, it's these, all the cattle billing Tyson for the upkeep. The cattle didn't exist. And Cody did it by inventing cattle. He made up fake invoices and billed expenses for a herd of hundreds of thousands of animals that only existed on paper, just numbers on a spreadsheet. And this crime was made possible in part by the complexity and scale of our modern ag system. And then we don't get to that. And then we hear, you know, we we get into some of these other things, which are important. But then again, we hear, but this was the swindle and swindled for $244 million. And the cattle didn't, they were only on paper. And we still don't get to it. And it isn't until we get to sort of like episode three, the very end of episode two, we sort of get the most significant tease. Episode two is called The Swindle. But it's mostly about this farming family and the challenges of being a family farmer. And that is not a swindle. I'll tell you that the crime is interesting because it's not anything that we've heard before. Even like, you know, we talk about these con men stories and fraud stories. This is really different. And I'm like, I want to know how it went down. How did he do it? What were the factors that were up into that? It took a long time to get there. And I think they might lose a bunch of people. You know, without that payoff. I mean, all the episodes are out now, so you can binge and get to it. But I'm thinking about the people that spend the first two weeks going, well, what is you want to tease, you want to foreshadow, but you gave it all almost you gave the the punchline away. I don't call it a punchline. You gave the store away right up in the front, so there's no surprise. You gave the milk away. What was that thing your grandmother used to say? Don't give the milk away. Why buy the cow when you get the the milk milk for free? (laughs) Yeah. That is not appropriate, but I uh, get what you're trying to do there, Laura. Good on you. But basically, I was trying, you know, Kevin. Yeah. So that's 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 just it. I, th- I think the storyboarding was wrong. Yeah, I think, there's you know, a way the, to tell this story in a more suspenseful way, like a more suspenseful way, but in a way that still is true to the larger issues that they want to talk about. That's why this podcast made me crazy. Okay. okay? I loved the reporting in this podcast so much that I've been telling people about some of the things I learned in this podcast nonstop. And we will get to one of those things that is so terrifying and amazing in the second half of this show. I promise it is terrifying and it is wild. And if you are not terrified by it, there is something wrong with you. It made me crazy how poorly this thing was structured and how like... There was some editor who was like, people won't understand this until you do this. But like, that's not trusting the listener. 
And you had a great true crime story here. You really did. You had a a page turner of a fraud. You had really interesting characters. But if I think about how many times, I think it was in episode two, that they used the word, they talked about how important a family's reputation is. The word reputation was repeated about 50 times in whatever episode that was. And I'm like, once was good. I get it. But for some reason, there was an editor in the room who was like, no, 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 you really need to bring this home. You really need to drive this home. And I'm like, you're not trusting your listener. And I wanted I wanted to like go back in time and like yell at the people because Anna is such a talented reporter and and all the information here is so good and so important. This is about our food supply. That's what this podcast is about. What this guy did affected everybody on this call and everybody who's going to listen to the show unless you're a vegetarian, but it actually affected you too because you pay for stuff. And like that stuff wasn't driven home at all because we were bombarded with stuff that we didn't need to know about for three episodes. It made me nuts. It made me absolutely nuts. All right. So Kevin, speaking of things that are terrifying, um, really quickly, can you do a terrifying business section for us? I wouldn't steer you wrong, Rebecca. (laughs) All right, everybody. Here's the beef. No, nothing. No, nobody. Okay, no. right now on uh, Patreon, go to Patreon.com/slash Partners in Crime Media. Yes, you can get all sorts of great stuff behind that paywall. It's like the Crime Writers on After Show. Leave it to Bricker, Laura's podcast, where she talks about well, getting back on the horse, oh. and literally meaning getting back on the horse, because she is now a lady of a certain age. Yeah, we. Uh, she's not. She's so young. She's so young. Very shortly, we'll get the latest podcast episode of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. He recorded his discussion on the book Karachi Vice. Who are your guests, Toby? Health uh, company executive Nanita Cranford and college ethnomusicologist Ann Lucas. Wow. We're also going to have the latest post-Valentine's Day edition of Married with Podcast. And we just talk about all the marriages that we saved this week. Oh. Or broke up. I don't know. Wait, I don't want to. Honestly, in that podcast, I'm always telling people to get divorced. It happens way too often. Way too often. (laughs) Sorry. Expanding the dating pool, Rebecca. (laughs) If you want to sample a little bit of uh, Patreon, you can right now try a 14-day free trial. Go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Try it for 14 days. Cancel with no obligation. All that time, you can listen to all the episodes of uh, the After Show and Married with Podcast and all that other great stuff. And uh, if you like it, stick around because we have a lot of people who do. All right, Kevin. So before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Paul Nixon and Catherine Jobert. Bless you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, everyone who muscles through the business section each and every podcast. And thank you to those of you who even don't support us on Patreon. All of our listeners matter to us equally. Thank you so much for listening every single week. I'm going to go ahead and play that music out, Kevin, right now. Do what do you think? I'm going to go ahead and do that. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. So, Laura, we learned a lot of interesting facts in this podcast, as we were talking about. A lot of interesting things about farming that I think did belong in the podcast. Like, for instance, what it takes to not get swindled by your feed deliverers and the high-tech nature of these operations. What did you think of those kinds of details? Yeah, I mean, I thought this was super interesting. I mean, this is not your grandfather's farm. And <laughs> let's just put My it that way. My grandfather didn't have a farm, but okay. <laughs> Yours did, I'm sure. You know, I didn't know anything, honestly, and I feel kind of naive for this, but like listening to the way that Cody was hedging on the futures market and it was like, okay, so you know, if you're in farming and you're going to sell whatever product you have for X amount of dollars and you don't know what it's going to being bought for, say, in August. And if you go in now in May and you hedge your bets and you say, I'm going to take this price for it or whatever, you know, you get in on that. And and that was really interesting to me because it, it was a much more nuanced approach to farming than I think a lot of people think about when they think about farming. But the scam that he's able to pull off really gives you a window into what it takes to be an agriculture in this time, but also how he manipulated that for his own benefit. But it's like, you've got like the leasing of the land, the culture of selling your product to big corporations, the way that the big corporations in this case, Tyson will pay you money up front for your fake cattle when you don't really have them so that you can bring. Yeah. I mean, it's freaking bonkers. Um, And I guess the thing about Cody that kind of comes to me is how not one choice, but like taking this direction that he did because of his gambling issues and coming up with the fake herd, just the ripple effect of that. And I think that's something that we want to talk about from the episode five, the ripple effect of him making that decision and then having to sell that farmland and what that means for that region and that farm and that whole area was absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. And Rebecca, I feel like you felt exactly the same way. Well, we'll talk about that. But I, I like, Toby, can you comment on that sort of generational need to grow this business? Because we hear that Cody didn't start this family enterprise. His father did. Yeah, it was his father, Gail. I mean, the story's, the story's pretty interesting in that the, the father kind of establishes and grows this huge cattle operation and as you mentioned before, and it gets mentioned endlessly in the podcast, he establishes a reputation. He does? Uh, <laughs> yeah, reputation apparently is he important, does. didn't you know? That's the way this all works. But the story, which is of the son coming and trying to grow the business further, and I, you know, I'm sure there's all kinds of like Freudian stuff going on. 
but it's a pretty familiar story. And I wrote that down and I was like, I'm probably gonna have to give an example of a, of a, of a case of this, but like the Sacklers, I think is uh, if you, if you read um, empire of pain by Patrick Radden Keefe, it's a similar thing where the one generation sort of establishes the business and the next generation's like, I'm going to bring this into the modernity. And then things kind of start going off the rail. One thing I kind of felt was a little bit missing from this was sort of the genesis of this whole thing is that Cody goes way, way into debt. And it's from making apparently bad bets on the futures market. But then they spend a little bit of time talking about how it's almost impossible to lose that much money on the futures market. You know, there are years where you're going to see big positive gains, years where you're going to see big negative gains. Um, But really, you wouldn't expect to see kind of a consistent losing or a consistent winning of the market. Um, At least that's not what I've observed. So then I was like, well, how could he be so bad that he's losing like like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, how does that happen when this professor is saying, well, I just give real money to my kids in my class and let them do it. And it basically comes out even. Kevin, what did you think about the futures market and, and Cody's ability to lose hundreds of millions of dollars on it? Yeah, that's something. Like, I, the other day, uh, Trading Places was on TV. Yes. And they had this whole thing about the... Uh, orange juice concentrate. Yeah, frozen orange juice concentrate. And they're like, oh, well, you know, we can manipulate the market and what whatnot. But I'm surprised. I, I didn't know that much about the uh, Chicago mercantile, mercantile exchange. Yeah. But it was interesting that, you know, that it's small enough of volume that a big bet or a big move by somebody like Easter Day could, like, manipulate the market and shift it one way because all of a sudden there's this appears to be, you know, this big demand for something or someone's going to drop sells whatever that he could do that. When Toby said it, I really started scratching my head at. How could he lose that much money? You know, it would uh, be like losing your fortune, putting your stuff in like a S&P 500 fund, which is like almost impossible. To yeah. Do. Yeah. I mean, if you're making bets like you're going to hit sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're chasing the loss. And so you now you're doubling the bet and you're losing. It does make me wonder whether there was another avenue of revenue loss that legitimate or illegitimate that. No one picked up on yet another editing issue with this podcast. It never drew that straight line. Another net straight line that was missing was the father's death in this car accident. We hear about it a couple times as an event, mm-hmm. but we don't hear about it as it relates to this story particularly. Like it kicks off the whole podcast, right? Yeah, the car accident scene kicks off the whole podcast. Well, they pose that Gail didn't know about. The right at the time. So why does but, the car accident scene kick off the whole podcast? And then why is it brought up again later? I thought that was like a red herring. Like that was the first scene, and I was like, "How does this relate to anything?" Right, Wait, it doesn't. But <laughs> it's it's framed as this major event, but it obviously ties into something somehow. Yeah, he had all the cattle in his back seat. Right. I mean, <laughs> the opening. I mean, there's so many great yeah. opening scene possibilities. To this podcast, such as. Drones flying over a field searching for cattle that aren't there. (laughs) Or, you know, there's just so many fucking possibilities for opening this. Not a car accident that is not related to the story in any way. I mean, you could open it with the trial. You could open it with so many things. Okay, so um, I really do want to talk about this fact that blew my mind in the podcast that I have literally been telling everybody about. So 
Cody uh, Easterday has to go into bankruptcy because Tyson, for those listeners who won't listen to the podcast uh, or who want to hear the spoilers, Tyson catches him in this fraud during the pandemic because the beef supply can no longer come into their factory because factory workers get COVID. So they have to shut down the factories. And so they catch him in this fraud, basically, in this ghost herd. So as a result, he has to go into bankruptcy and sell this hugely valuable swath of land along the Columbia River, this 22,000 acre swath of land, and it goes to auction. We find out who the two highest bidders are. And we find out that major investors in the United States who have a lot of capital are buying up farmland left and right because it's incredibly valuable because it is in short supply and there's high demand for it. Makes sense from a market perspective, right? Yeah. So like hedge funds are buying farmland. And one of the bidders here, makes sense from that perspective, is Bill Gates. Apparently, he's one of these rich people who's buying up farmland. Apparently, he owns the most farmland out there. Correct. Microsoft. The other bidder, the winning bidder, is the LDS Church, who right now (laughs) is one of the fastest procurers of farmland in the United States. Mm -hmm. The reason this is so interesting to me, by the way, they own how much percentage of Florida? 2% of Florida. Yes. The reason this gets interesting, and I applaud Anna's restraint in reporting this part of the story. All the facts are there. She actually talks to the people. Yes, they're in it for the money, for the investment part of it. But they're also in it because the LDS doctrine is to be able to feed themselves in the latter days. After the second coming. Well, you got all those sister wives. You have to feed everybody, you know? that's fringe, Kevin. That's FLDS. That's fringe. The LDS, the regular Mormon church's doctrine is flowers bloom in the desert. I know. my first podcast? I'm just fucking around. In the latter days. My head immediately goes to post-apocalyptic times, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You guys going to fucking share your food with the rest of us or not? Like the LDS church. I'm going to become Mormon. Yeah, I'm going to convert. But, I mean, Toby, the fact that the LDS church is essentially taking over such a major part of the American food supply, I think should be a bigger story than it is. I mean, if the Catholic church were taking over a huge part of the American food supply, I would imagine that would be a story. Or Scientologists were taking over they a huge just part want of the, the bread. supply. Or, but it's just, it's a very interesting story. And the fact that it's founded in their doctrine and not just because it's a good investment. Toby, what are your thoughts? I I feel like if you pull back the layers on a lot of different parts of American life, you'll probably find some like religious aspects to things that are not very, from the point of view of a secular person, are not very palatable. And I'll just give an example. I realize I'm getting slightly off topic, but there was a, a Bill Moyers thing during George W. Bush's presidency that was taking a look at um, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and that all these people who were way high up in the EPA were Christians who felt as though the world was going to end very soon and Christ was going to come back and everything was going to be leveled and rebuilt and stuff. So they're like, fuck it, you know, drill everywhere because this is all just going to be leveled anyway when, when Christ comes back. So they're making these decisions on our natural resources based on their feeling that it doesn't really matter because in 50 years we're going to be starting all over again. So. This just seems like another sort of example of that, which is these sort of religious imperatives are driving decisions that impact people who've got nothing to do with that religion at all. Right. And people are just don't don't even really know it. To be quite honest, does it really matter if LDS owns the land where 
the livestock is being grown that I'm, you know, making spaghetti sauce with. Like, I don't. As long as they keep leasing it to beef farmers who then sell it to the commercial market, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But I, I mean, is there any indication that they would suddenly stop like selling beef to non-Mormons? I mean, I think. At end times? <laughs> it dep- I mean, that- but this is the whole thing. If the end times comes, we got other problems than uh, I mean, consolidation the, I mean, the, of meat. Yes. In, yeah. I was talking about this with my son, and he was like, better them than Bill Gates, and there is a strong case to be made for that as well. Yeah. yeah. I'll come up with a sign that says, I'll convert for corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the whole thing is it's not just beef. Right. What what strikes me, though, is that, I mean, Laura, what I just kept thinking about was in the, earlier in the podcast, they talked about how fraud did change the price of beef for everyone. Like, this is scale. This is we're talking scale. We're not talking a small farm. Well, that's the thing is this was not a little this was a gigantic freaking farm. And I mean, it was the magnitude of like just the size of this property. When you hear about the size and the ramifications of the sale of that property is huge. It's not like the guy that I go down to down the road in Exeter, like to go pick up some burger. And he has like, I don't know, 30 cattle and he supplies the local community. This is a guy who's like big factory farming. Yeah. You know, one of the things that this reminds me of this podcast is those CBC Uncover series where they take a true crime, but the true crime is just a wrapper around a larger societal issue. Because I think like, if this were a podcast that you'd say, oh, it's about farming or it's about no uh, one would listen. <laughs> it's about raising livestock or yeah. about water rights for farmers. Yeah, I don't know like how many people that aren't in that world would be like, I want to get into that. So having a crime, you know, around it, just like they did with all those other podcasts, CBC podcasts. I feel like there was an opportunity here for that. I think, unfortunately, though, the crime part was so thin that it's, you know, there wasn't a lot of other stuff that they brought to it. There wasn't enough premeditation and all this these machinations that could sustain five episodes or even, you know, two episodes of, of a true crime thing. So in that way, I think it misfired. But I think that it was smart to try to do that because that has been successful other times. It's this spoonful of sugar that gets the medicine to go down. So I disagree that the crime was thin, that then it couldn't have sustained a, a whole like a. No, like a, you didn't think so. You know why? Why? Chameleon wild boys. That's why that crime was two kids showing up in a town and pretending that they were orphans. And they made a 10 episode fucking awesome season out of that. Well, there's that, interesting things that happened out of correct. that. I think this could have been a season of Chameleon where this guy was pretending to be this straight up kick ass pillar of the community, but he was actually a gambling addict who was defrauding Tyson and changing and like manipulating the market food supply for all of America. Right. And meanwhile, we could have been learning about all this cool fucking stuff if it were structured like a kick ass like narrative. I mean, I still learned the stuff and I'm psyched that I did, but. The crime part is actually very interesting. It's just the podcast was structured in a way where it wasn't. And I and you're right. Like, I think of Connie Walker saying, like, I wanted to teach people about indigenous issues, but I knew that people would only care if I made it a true crime podcast, right? Yeah, or The Village or... Yeah. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like the, like the future stuff, like, there's a lot of potential there for suspense, excitement. I mean, it sounds stupid to say, but when, if you listen to the thing... It's like he's just laying these bets that are just constantly going bad. 
the story is quite different, but it's it seems like it's similar to like the Anna Delvey thing where it's just he get, keeps finding himself in a worse and worse and worse position and it's trying to figure out some way out of it and he just keeps digging himself deeper. And I, I think there's a lot of suspense in that sort of dynamic, but that doesn't seem to be much of an interest for this. Like they're not trying to build suspense. They're just sort of telling the story that's got all these other implications, um, some of which are more interesting than others. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Ghost Herd? It's a podcast from KUOW, Puget Sound Public Radio and Northwest Public Broadcasting. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people rustle up the Ghost Herd or not? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Ghost Herd. This podcast I thought was really, really interesting because we listen to so many crime stories that are of a similar vein of like a murder or a financial crime or whatever. And so at the heart of this, I think that the actual crime here, which we know in the beginning, so I'm not giving away a spoiler, which is like new age cattle rustling, is fascinating. And learning about the agricultural industry and what goes into it is all interesting. I think there are some structural issues here. I wish the story was perhaps told in a little bit different order. There was sort of this introduction that gave a lot of history of the land up front, which I thought was important, but I also felt that sort of slowed the momentum of getting to the narrative hook of this story with a lot of background right up front. But overall, I mean, I think if you like Bundyville and those sort of podcasts, which talk about this segment of the Western section of the U.S. with people and cultures and issues that we may not be as familiar with, then this podcast is for you. I mean, it was definitely something unusual and interesting. And because of that, I'm going to overlook some of the structural issues that I had issues with because I just thought it was a really cool story and something that I was interested to learn about. So that is a thumbs up from me. Toby Ball. I'm going to disagree with Laura a little bit in that I wouldn't necessarily think that if you like Bundyville, you're going to like this. Bundyville, I think, is is like an all-time great podcast thing. And I think this takes place in the in the same area and, and sort of has 
some sort of affinities with it. This is a really tough one because I think the reporting is really good. I, I like the reporter. If you were just to judge it on like kind of cool stuff that I learned or important stuff that I learned, like this would be a pretty good thumbs up. But it's just the the first whole episode is sort of a slog. It doesn't feel as though they made the most of the crime situation that they have. They kind of report on it a, a little bit like it's an NPR story, but without sort of what I think the better true crime podcasts do, which is to build suspense. And, and that's the focus of the, the narrative arc. So with all this kind of thrown together, I think this is sort of a theme for this week, which is, you know, there's a percentage of this, which I thought was great and just super interesting and would absolutely recommend to people. And then there are parts of it that, again, if I was going to listen to it again, I would just skip over. So, you know, in the end, I guess I'm a, I'm a thumb sideways. The reporting's too good. And the good parts are too interesting to give it a thumbs down. But I think there was the potential here to make something that would be like really, really good. And I think for whatever reason, and maybe it's it's like sort of this is a more repertorial story than a true crime story or whatever, they didn't go down that route. So I'm a thumb sideways. Kevin Flynn. I'm also going to go thumb sideways. I really liked Anna King, the host, because I felt like she had an affinity for the people in the industry and the lifestyle. I found that stuff really interesting that what we learned sort of about being a farmer today and the, um, you know, the state of agriculture in the United States, the crime part itself, the whole ghost herd. Great name, by the way. It, great that, name, great art. The stuff about the ghost herd was fairly, I thought, kind of flimsy and that they gave the essence of it away right away. So as far as the suspense for me to keep going on, I could have dipped out. And if I did, I probably would have missed a lot of interesting facts. But that wasn't enough really for me to say thumbs up. I'm not sure a lot of people are going to want to consume this just for that reason. So not horrible, but I really can't recommend it. So thumbs sideways. I am giving this podcast a thumbs up with the caveat that I'm giving it a thumbs up because of all the stuff I learned and because I love Anna King and Anna King's reporting. This podcast made me crazy because all I could think about was how good this podcast could be the entire time I was listening to it because there were gems the whole way through. Great tape. Great steakhouse tape, great drone tape, great courtroom tape, great like scenes, like potential scenes. Reporting is fantastic. The structure is poor. Uh, The episode order is poor. The information is laid out too deliberately and too much of a slog, as, as Toby said. And the story could have been so suspenseful, not like in a cheesy way, not like in a page turning true crime way, just in a true like strong narrative way, like in the vein of like a chameleon wild boys in the vein of like a true, you know, swindle with a lot of other issue based stuff as, as Kevin, as you said earlier in the spoiler section, like the CBC does with their shows, like Connie Walker does with her shows. There's a story, but then you learn a whole bunch of important stuff that you need to know for your life around it. That's the kind of show that this show is and should have been. And the promise of that, I could hear it the whole way through And like Anna is so talented that like she deserves a podcast like that to be wrapped around her reporting. Mm -hmm. So I can't give this a thumbs down because I keep talking about and telling people about the stuff I learned in it and the parts that were good were great. 
So yeah, thumbs up for me with all of those caveats. Um, so listen to Ghost Herd if you want to learn some cool shit. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right, that should do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, we do. And it is from Glenda Williams. It is Bobby the Bobcat. Wow. Bobby the Bobcat is a resident in a neighborhood in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, he even has his own Facebook page to share his location and its activities. A few weeks back, he was seen injured with a trap hanging off his left front paw. Oh, no. He was taken finally a week or two to the Calgary Wildlife Rehabilitation Society. And guess what? He is actually a she and luckily had no broken bones, but did require surgery to repair. Wah, 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 sorry. To repair her paw wounds. She is doing well and hopefully after this we'll be able to release later this spring. Obviously, folks are very mad about the trap and no one has come forward with any information. But anyway, bobcats have become more frequent visitors in Calgary the last few years. And we have one or two frequenting our neighborhood too, dining on rodents and wild rabbits. They are small cats and pose no threat to humans, but domestic cats and very small dogs do need to be aware. Anyway, uh, she loves our podcast and is a huge fan. Thank you, Glenda. I love Bobby the Bodcat. There is a picture of Bobby in her little cast, which is adorable. So um, I do love the Bobcats. It reminds me of my buddy, Carol Baskin. So thanks, Calgary for providing this content for us. Laura, thank you for always providing very interesting animals to be Cat of the Week. If people want to submit them to you, of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com or submit them to us on Facebook. But if they want to find you on social media, how can they find you there? They can find me at Lara Bricker on Twitter. And Ball, if folks want to find you on social media, I don't know, to talk to you about all the things that you like talking about, how can they find you there? At Toby Ball and H. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram and tell me how great my husband Kevin is for bringing me shepherd's pie on the couch <laughs> while I suffer the after effects of my booster and a, how, a Whitman sampler. Sampler. how great he is for buying me that Whitman sampler, uh, <laughs> you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there, find the page, and hit join the group. We'll let you in if you seem normal. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On After Show. You'll get Married with Podcast. You'll get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast. And you'll get Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is the very handsome Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we also have thousands of cattle that only exist on paper. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. This podcast made me weirdly hungry and weirdly want to be vegetarian at the same time. Yeah, I'm with you. I made mac and cheese tonight. No meat. I just started buying futures.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.